0: welcome everybody back to the health mastery show today i have on with me performance and sports psychologist hugh gilmore it was a really interesting conversation with hugh he works with professional athletes and top tier athletes including olympians helping them get their mindset right in order to maximize performance i never had a sports psychologist on the podcast before actually in fact i never spoke to one Many people misunderstand what they do, but we've had a really, really interesting conversation all about how to help people change, how to get them into the right mindset. We even touch on things like motivational interviewing, which Hugh is a trainer in and helps other coaches to help them serve their athletes and their clients better. So really really interesting topic and even if you're not somebody who's a coach or um, is involved in helping others this can be really good for asking yourself particular questions to get the most out of yourself and your mindset. So without further ado let's get into this episode with Hugh Gilmore. So Hugh thank you so much for coming on the podcast today really really appreciate it. No problem not a problem at all
1: looking forward to this.
0: Yeah great so um this is i guess a, a little bit different than some of the other guests that we've had on before and um, at least your your field and your expertise so for those perhaps who haven't heard of you it would be great if you could do a bit of a an intro i think you do better justice than i would
1: well um i suppose i've been working in elite sport with olympic and paralympic athletes for the last seven eight maybe ten years now um and in the role of a sports psych um Within that, I'm also qualified to train people in motivational interviewing. Um, it's something that I'm quite passionate about in performance sport, and also rational emotive behaviour therapy, which is essentially the precursor to CBT, which people might have heard of. And I find that again very useful within sport. Uh, so I work with British weightlifting and uh, British athletics. But I've actually published my undergraduate dissertation in a in a. Notational analysis of the skills of hurling. Um, so, like, I've got a background in hurling, weightlifting. Um, yeah, and I've sat in board of directors for Nepal Northern Ireland, and also national committees for weightlifting Northern Ireland. So, I've got a lot of experience, you know, coaching from under eights right up to working with uh, the best athletes in the world. Mm.
0: So, if you were to give an elevator pitch, say, what do you do? You, what would you say you do? Um, I help people think better so that they can enhance their performance um,
1: very simply um that's that's good
0: so i suppose if we're trying to give it give it a, a kind of a, a definite role a def- definition of that you you're a sports psychologist would that be correct
1: yeah so uh, i'm a sports psych and i i mean my, part of my role is direct facing with athletes um, and helping them think better. But then it also goes into like, team dynamics and helping the team operate better, the support staff around them as mm. well. And again, that's where motivational interviewing comes in because it helps people communicate better um, and basically get better results in a performance domain. Sure. Uh, so there's, there's a, couple of, a couple of different ends to be in a sports site, whether it's like straight up with the athlete or actually looking at it from how the team operates, you know.
0: Mm. So uh, I guess a lot of people probably wouldn't be familiar with what the a sports psychologist actually does. You you may have heard. I think myself just I may have heard of, Hora Carrington, who was a very famous Irish golfer. He actually went to my school. Um, and say like NBA teams. I'm a fan of basketball, so I've heard some you know NBA teams working some players that are kind of not playing great. They're working with the sports psychologists. But what exactly does a sports psychologist do other than I guess a lot of people think you know they're just there to, to rile people up and get them motivated. So.
1: I mean, part of the thing is the actual sitting down and and chatting with the athlete um, and helping them understand how they think and behave the way they do. Whenever they start to understand how they think and behave the way they do, they can then take control of that and start challenging that where they think and behave in ways that are actually not useful to their performance. So, you know, very simply, you know, everyone has emotions um, and emotions give us behavioral urges. So for example, uh, when people get angry, the behavioral urge is to smash whatever's in front of you, uh, it's to attack or be aggressive towards that. But again, you know, what the role of the psych is to do in that scenario is to help the athlete understand, okay, you're angry towards something, but actually that action, that behavioral urge might not be the best thing and to create what would be defined as a stimulus response gap for them to actually process. You know, so the stimulus of something's happened, uh, we often jump straight into response without actually thinking about it and about it without actually understanding how we get into those patterns. And um, so that's part of it. I mean, the other part of it is facilitation of like group dynamics, like how do we come together as a team and how do we build a culture and a sport or a team and how do you actually go through that process? And it's through a process of engagement with everyone um, and then pulling apart what it is people actually want. And the problem with, with us as humans is that we're not really good at communicating. For example, people will say things like, um, oh, uh, we need somebody back to the way, the way they were. You know, you hear, I need to get back to the way I was. Um, and it's like, well, that's fairly shit language. Uh, hopefully I can swear on this podcast, um, but it's fairly shit language because it's not descriptive enough and it's also judgmental in the sense that they're saying that you're not good enough currently. Um, And it's, you know, insinuating that we have to go back in time. Like, How do we make someone's understanding um, observable, achievable, and promotable? So those are are three words that I regularly use to help people create clear definitions definitions of performance. Because if we ask that question of, okay, well, what do you mean by by we need to get back to the way that we used to be? Well, on a Tuesday at 2 p.m., what are you doing? Uh, define to me, define to me exactly the behaviour you would be doing, and is are you stating in a way that's actually achievable? Because people have say things, oh, and I need to be able to go into training in a good mood, but they'll actually phrase it the wrong way. They go, I need to go into training in the bad, I need to stop going into training in a bad mood. That's not an achievable thing. You only know that's happening when it's when it, you're in a bad mood. So you need to phrase, say what it is you want, and phrase it that way in an organisation so that then everyone has a clear understanding of, oh, this is what we're aiming for. It's observable. We can see it been done. It's achievable. We know what it looks like on a Tuesday at 2 p.m. And then it's promotable. It's not private. We can talk about it among the team. That's basically, a big heavy hammer to hit uh, culture with is those three words because then you start defining things as opposed to, oh, we all need to be happy. What the hell does mm-hmm. that look like? You know, that that's just a word.
0: What does the behavior look like? What will you see? What will be occurring? So, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm really jumping yeah. off the deep end. No, no. I guess I guess when people say that those things, what they really mean is that would be a, a mediator or facilitate something else. What they're actually trying to achieve, like w- why is it that you'd want to be in a good mood to mm. go into trend? Like, there's obviously, or when when you want to get back to the way you were, it's because maybe some some lag measure or performance indicators has gone has disimproved or something like that. I, I guess that's kind of what mm. people would generally mean. Would it be?
1: yeah i mean that's kind of what people talk about but then the other thing about this is like you know i've already sort of committed one of the sins is oh we need to be happy and and that's kind of what you hear from people it's also a bit bullshit because we need to educate people and systems to understand that no we need to understand that when we have a an emotion that is what people would call negative is that's actually useful and adaptive so There's a difference between unhealthy uh, emotion and healthy negative emotion. An example being: if you have anxiety, that's unhealthy because when you've got anxiety, you'd avoid the situation. But it's healthy to have concerns. It's healthy to um, think about things that are. It's healthy to think about things in a way that are concerns, are concerns because then you can actually take action against them in a preventative measure. So it's like, what is a healthy negative emotion?
0: So we shouldn't always be sort of landed on the side of keeping things very positive. When you work specifically with athletes, is, is that mainly for, or teams, is that mainly for the improvement of performance? Because you mentioned stuff around kind of emotions, stuff where I, I guess they would work with, with a psychologist, but is your role specifically to, to help with the performance aspect and then if, if there was other issues that are going on, would that be passed on to say clinical psychologists or something like that?
1: So in terms of mental health, the role of a sports psychologist is to work within performance um, where there's got issues which are subclinical like close to the edge of being clinical, you'd maybe have some knowledge and awareness of them and help direct the, the person. Where it's clinical, um, you would direct the person to a, a clinical site and signpost them, or direct them to the GP. So I don't work with mental health. That said, you know, part of my role is obviously developing, and for the last what two years, I've, I've been going to a special interest group of forensic psychologists who work with criminals and seeing how rational emotive behaviour therapy has been put to place in that in that uh, arena. And that's been very eye-opening for me um, what exactly they have to deal with I think that's it. you know that's a good way to think about performance you know when whenever you're trying to enhance somebody's performance is like what's the harshest environment you could put your skills into place and how how do they work in that place um, because if you can succeed there then you can succeed anywhere um, and I don't see that there's a lot of difference between sport and clinical psych I see that there's actually uh, I mean there is a lot of different skill sets required and a, a lot of different knowledge but actually it's still people skills it's still interacting with people and it's still trying to get the best out of people it's just you're working at a different level of, of health and wellness you know um, and obviously there's a lot more confounding factors but I, with, within mental health I think within sport though you know people don't realize don't see the confounding factors as often So we talk about the biopsychosocial model of like what's their biology, what's their uh, psychology and what's their sociology. So from those different levels, what's going on? So going down a rabbit hole here, so feel free to pull me out. But, you know, for example, from a biological level, if somebody uh, is uh, in it, say for example, somebody has a disability, right? They might have a, a condition. So I've worked with athletes with, um, conditions whereby they're intellectually challenged um, and that is part of their disability and um, but then on top of that you might have the fact that somebody from a sociological perspective might be stared at might be uh, looked at more than others and if you think about that across like a 10 20 year life span growing up they might then become a little bit concerned about you know going out in public a little bit concerned about being looked at and um, and then you think about, like, well, how is this person going to respond under pressure? Um, what is this person like whenever they're trying to, like, you know, go on camera or, or, or step out? Um, so, again, you've got these issues of um, how do they perform under pressure in a competition environment, a televised event? So, again, that's some of the complexity that might occur within, for example, Paralympic sport, uh, which is something mm. that a, a lot of my work is in.
0: Yeah. And I, I guess it's probably very hard to quantify. But it's not something that you usually see especially through amateur sports. everything is just down to the coach who may be a, just a volunteer or, or they, they may you know not be very trained in this area. But how, how important is like um, your I suppose your, your mental capacity and your resiliency and your mindset when it comes to performance because often we're just kind of told you know pull yourself up by the bootstraps or you know, it's, it's not really focused on it's more so you know focused on skill or or nutrition or strength and conditioning but very rarely this is focused on and it could be that it's it's an unknown unknown or that people just don't have the skills to focus on the issue we have is people say words but nobody says hi
1: mm. pull yourself up by the bootstraps well hi you know what's the high behind that so very simple if you're getting annoyed and frustrated about your performance in the pitch or your performance in the, in the gym or whatever it is, you know what is the thing that's annoying
0: you? Um, have you got any examples of setbacks that you've experienced, Adam? Um, a, a lot. I don't know. Are you talking about like psychological setbacks? Any anything? Pick anything you're happy to share. Um, sometimes, yeah. I feel like I could almost. Give myself that extra push sometimes. Like when I see, let's say, let's say in my bodybuilding career, for example, um, I know that sometimes maybe I'm not fully there mentally in the gym. When I'm, like, mm-hmm. say, looking at say the top performers, it's hard to say exactly what the difference is. But they can just kind of zone in a lot more. It's kind of difficult for me. When I have a very busy lifestyle, a lot of other things going on. It's hard to really focus and say that was a really really good session. Okay. So it kind of went through the motions a little bit there.
1: Right. So let's take that. I'm, what you're basically saying is I'm a little bit irritated, frustrated, annoyed about my performance in the gym. I feel as if it's not as good as it could be. Yeah. Right. So what I would do in that scenario with somebody is, okay, we say things. We People say, oh, control the controllables, focus on the controllables, you know. Hi. Okay. The how in this case is going to be, what's the facts and what's the judgments? What you've said, the judgments are it's bad to be not focused in the gym, but the facts are what you've been to the gym, you've put in a session, and you feel it doesn't meet something you've done there, it doesn't meet your standards, um, and you would like to achieve greater. That's a fact, whereas the judgment is this is bad, but why is it not a case of, okay, I've had a couple of, a, a string of crap sessions in the gym. What do I change? Why is that not, okay, this is an opportunity for learning. Why can that not be the judgment? So we take the mental experience that we've got, we split it in two. On one side, you've got facts. and the other side, you've got the judgment. And that's how you, you learn to focus on the controllables. So, you know, it's all well and good um, saying focus on the controllables or whatever. But that's the same as an S&C coach saying, get stronger, get faster. Meanings, mm-hmm. absolute meanings. Because strength has like, multiple definitions, whether it's relative strength, absolute strength, speed strength, you know, isometric strength, resisting strength. <laughs> do you know, like, what do you mean? And then how do you train that? So from the, some, the same level of detail needs to be thought about within psychology. You know, what do you mean?
0: Mm. And, and that probably is a good segue into, say, motivational interviewing, I think, which is something that you mentioned at the top of the podcast. Um, it's something that I hadn't really come across before. I may have heard of it, but I, I guess, could you explain a little bit what that is um, and how that kind of works or, or what that kind of process is?
1: So motivational interviewing is a counselling style which evolves out of uh, successful therapy and addictions, Treatment. so addictions is a pretty rough area to work in. Um, if you imagine, you know, people have their lives destroyed by gambling, uh, drug use, alcohol. Uh, ultimately, the gambling, drug use, and alcohol is better than their current experience of life, and that's why they get addicted to it. It provides something. Um, and the big thing that happens with addictions is you tell people here, stop that. You, you know, you're destroying your life. But the issue there is that we get this thing called psychological reactance. As soon as I tell you what to do, you lose your sense of freedom. So if I tell you now, um, go and go and start doing three sets of ten on the squat um, and increase it by ten kilograms every week, you've got no control. I've just told you what to do, like a dictator. So therefore, you revolt and you be- rebel and say, "The hell with him! I'm not doing squats." You see this? Anybody who's gone to a curry house. Uh, What happens is the guy will come out and say, don't touch that, that's hot, the big metal thing they set the plates on, and everybody reaches in and touches it. And it's because their freedom's been taken away because they've been told what to do, Uh, so they must rebel. And this is called psychological reactions, which occurs a lot when you're working with populations like that where they need to change, uh, but also if you tell them to change, then they push against you, so that doesn't help. Motivational interviewing, then, is a different approach where you speak to somebody and you accept where they're at, um, so it has uh, a, a, what they call a spirit, which you know, could be replaced by the word philosophy. But for the lay person, let's just call it, you go into a conversation with an intent. And there's three or sorry, four components to the intent of motivational interviewing, partnership, acceptance, compassion, and evocation. And if you go into a conversation with that intent of partnership, accepting them where they're at, compassion for their situation, and to evoke out their reasons for change or their reasons for squatting and and getting stronger then you're going to have a better conversation and then underneath that there's there's skills and techniques which you use and you don't use them because they're useful you use them because they allow you to embody the spirit uh, or the intent Uh, and that's that's what motivational interviewing is so it's a very Mm -hmm. effective highly researched uh, counselling style um, or conversation Mm -hmm. style
0: yeah, so you, you kind of touched on a, a little bit there, where kind of people have this reactive response. Um, and I heard you in, a, I think, another podcast, but previously where you mentioned that you work with some clients that want to say improve their health or, or body composition. Um, I, I, I've experienced this myself, having been a coach over the years, and I, I think I really resonated with the podcast you said where you kind of everyone starts out as absolutely brutal, and if you if you haven't re- realized that, you're obviously still pretty brutal. Um, so, you you mentioned in one of them that you know, uh, or, or what I what I've experienced is that like you you work with some clients and not, not all clients, but definitely it's happened a few times where somebody will voice what they want to achieve. Let's say you know I have this kind of say authority bias where people say, "Oh, you're you're in great shape, so I want to be like that." And then you know, realistically, maybe they may you not know, maybe not be able to achieve that in a in a, a short time frame. And they've never achieved any kind of success, so to speak, in that in that domain before. They've never successfully lost body fat to what they consider success. Um, and they'll continue to say, this is what I want, this is what I want. And no matter what you do, whether it's the kind of the tactics that you take, whether it's, you know, of course, you, we know some things that are not going to work, like a very rigid meal plan or a very specific types of food or a way of training that you have to follow, that might not work. But I've even experienced where you'll try so many different ways that technically should work on paper and you've facilitated different ways of achieving this goal, but they still can't achieve it. And you you, you think like, why did they go out and you know go on a, a three-day bender when they've voiced this? We've, we've worked out what they want to achieve. They've voiced why they want to achieve it. We've tried some flexible approach. We've tried so many different ways, but yet they still almost self-sabotage or it's like they purposely do this um, and they, and they just can't get there and I guess a lot of people probably do experience something like that where it's like it's not it's not a, a knowledge thing it's not like they didn't know that they had to be in a calorie deficit or that they didn't you have to you know eating a, a Domino's pizza and a family portion of chips isn't the best decision to make do you have any experience of, of why people might do this and how they can perhaps start to un, you know unpeel un- this onion what is it that doing those things
1: meets the need of? So, Hmm. basically, if you go out and you eat the food, why are you eating the food that you know that isn't aligned with your goals? You're eating it because either there's maybe a social occasion and you might feel the need to have to fit in. It might be something along the lines of this food gives me comfort, therefore I eat when I feel shit. And, it might be along the lines of, I'm, I'm fed up oh, so much effort, I, I need to relax, and this, eating the food, is relaxation for you. So to me, it's like when you use a substance to or a behavior to relieve a, a feeling um, of frustration or, or whatever it is, then that's that's the issue. Is that it's, not a, it's not that you don't know, it's that actually you don't know how to cope. And you haven't become aware of the pattern that you've got so you know for example I used to work in a job uh, and there was a a garage next door which did really good um, chicken and chips and then just used to be I used to get into the habit of like I'm hungry I haven't made my lunch I'll go over and get chicken and chips it was cheap it was tasty it was great next thing you know I'm like three stone heavier and it's simply because I was not meeting uh, my needs in terms of preparation, didn't have another option. I didn't have uh, the, the ability to sort of sustain myself in that sort of, I've been working hard all morning and I need something to eat and maybe skip breakfast, you know, and to, to justify it's okay to have a big lunch if you, if you, if you, if you skip your breakfast, etc. So there's lots of things going on there, but like I still had the goal of don't be a fat mess. You know, um, and, but yet it ended up a fat mess. So, if you look at this, you can break it down. I have this research from Misha et al, um, on the com B model. Um, and I have to thank Megan Bentley, you should look her up um, because she's one of the nutritionists I work with. She's done a PhD in this model. Um, and the model is capability, opportunity, motivation. Um, and basically, if you want behavior change, you need to assess somebody. Do they have the capability? Do they have the opportunity? And do they have the motivation? Um, so like out of 10, how, how much capability does somebody have to, to do what it is is required? There's a good assessment. Uh, out of 10, when do they have the opportunity to execute the required skills of behaviors? And then out of 10, again, um, how motivated they are. And again, motivation, you could break that down into like, how confident are you, you can do this and how important it is to you to do that out of 10. And again, when you find out, you ask people these scaling ruler questions, which is a skill from MI, you can ask them, why are you a five and not a zero? And they'll give you all the good reasons that they want to change, which enhances their motivation. So like you talk about the reasons why they want to change, you ask them those questions of why are you a five in terms of uh, capability and not a zero? Oh, Cause I've got some cookery skills. Mm. That's, that's, They're telling you that they are then more confident because they've got cookery skills, and you're highlighting it to them. Plus, you're getting information from them about what about what resources they have that they can then incorporate and use to create that success. So the process the process that I'm sort of highlighting is like if you understand the behaviour or the pattern and what that pattern is, and then understand that what's their capability, opportunity, and motivation to change that, uh, and to sort of recognise that pattern and then and do something about it that would be you know i suppose that would be a good process to go through with somebody i'm not too sure if i answered your question i think it went down a rabbit hole there
0: and <laughs> um, no i i think you did where you kind of like you have like a model where it's like you're are you ready are you willing kind of enabled to do this and mm-hmm. you know if you're not eight out of ten or nine out of ten you have to kind of dig, dig deeper and understand wh- why they are um, yeah but 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 i guess then to follow on to that the question would be, are, are some people just not, um, I suppose they're just, they don't want it enough, so to speak, and you, you've heard these thrown around, mm. where it's like they don't want it enough, because of course we can go into certain things, and there's always there's always things that, like, I, I would love to uh, have a, a multi-billion dollar passive income SaaS business, and have a yacht, and, uh, you know, be 8% body fat all the time, and stuff like that, um, but, well, that would be nice. Why would you, Why would you want that? <laughs> That's a good question. So, um, suppose that probably no financial freedom. Why do you um, want that? Why do you want that? Um, not to worry about bills, not to, to buy why whatever. You,
1: why do you not want to worry about bills?
0: Oh yeah. You, you got me here. So I guess this is where we're going into. Um, I don't know. It's a good question. Is it
1: because you're uncomfortable with uncertainty?
0: so yes, I, I would say that's definitely one. Okay.
1: Um, why not just instead of getting a yacht and having a successful business, why not just get comfortable with uncertainty? Why not accept that you know your life might not go to plan and you might end up homeless and die?
0: Because
1: that's yeah. I mean that's then you'll then you'll not need a yacht. You just accept reality. Well,
0: this is the bottom end capacity so, for me. So is everything just getting comfortable with with death and and. Uh, Mortality. <laughs> so
1: the reason I say that is because what I've done there with you is I've inference changed you and um, where I'm, I'm kind of just going, what's a, a level deeper, a level deeper of, of what this is. Mm-hmm. And we get down to it, like, you know, we end up, there's three basic things that cause us difficulty in life. And um, they are, I don't accept myself. I don't accept others and I don't accept my life. And your problems can basically be summed up as, you're picking one of those three things. No, it's perfectly fine and healthy for you to have a preference to want to go off and, you know, work towards those and achieve those if that's what you want. Um but where when you sort of recognise that okay, wait a minute, I accept myself for who I am, whether I have a yacht or I don't, or I accept my life for what it is, whether I have a yacht or I don't, then that actually frees you up from being a bit distressed about can I am I financially free? Can I pay my bills? So I think the big thing for me is it, and it's a common theme in sport, oh, I can't fail. Well, if you can't feel, you can't learn. Mm. And if you think about that, like that's what sport is. You learn how to get stronger. You learn how to get 8% body fat. You learn how to run a business. And I think there's this, so within rational mode of therapy terms, we talk about like um, putting demands on the world and putting demands on ourself and changing those demands into preferences. So when you say some people don't want it enough which was the start of this question is that a true thing, is that a a situation that actually is a it's a judgmental, blamey thing that a coach will say um, or a practitioner will say about an athlete oh they just don't want it enough how come it's not you don't want to work with somebody who's difficult and get good at working with somebody who you define as difficult and what if they're not difficult what if actually they've got so much on their plate that they aren't coping, and your job is to help them cope better so that they can
0: actually achieve at a faster rate. So could it be that the case that, in fact, it's not necessarily what they want at the core, so like you mentioned with the yacht, the, like it's maybe what that can bring you, so maybe what they want to achieve, and let's say if it's a, to make it pretty clear, to like a, a physical uh A physical feat or a body composition goal that maybe that's not exactly what it is they want to achieve, but it's it's something that that would then facilitate. Would that be
1: yeah, I mean when you look at it, that's facilitating something. Um and I think it's why do you want why do you want to achieve what you want to achieve? So for our listeners, like why do you want to achieve whatever it is you want to achieve? What is it that will give you? Um and and quite often, it's like people do this thing where if I just get to here, I'll be happy. Or if I just get this, that'll be enough. But we're actually programmed to go to get that, and then once it's, we've got it, um, we're like, oh, I need more. And that's you know, th- this is why we say that people are happier on the journey than they are at the destination. This is why when people go to Olympic Games, they get post-games blues or depression after it. You know, they can experience that, and that's a documented phenomenon. But again, similarly, like, you know, and this is maybe me speaking out of place and out of turn, but like, how many people have, you know, gone and had a kid and had postnatal depression? And they're like, oh, this is it. And at the same time, there's also, um, there's also a lot of chemical changes there and other issues compounding that. But it's like mm. too many people end up on a path, but don't think about why they're on that path. And you know, it's like you get the dream job, you find out the dream job shit, you get the yacht, you find out like you don't like. Being at sea, <laughs> you know, it's like what? What do you want? Do you want? Um, yeah. So, so how do we put not- down in,
0: another rabbit. Hole uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Like I've definitely thought about this before, and, and one would be thinking from my own perspective. If I, if I let's say if if I worked with clients that specifically had a body composition goal, and then I was almost steering them away. So like, Well, no, actually, this is not what you really want. You want confidence. You can get this through I don't know, learning how to play piano. Then all right. Good luck. See you later. Um, so I guess that would be, I mean, I know I'm not a psychologist or kind of a, a counsellor, um, but I, I do see how that could probably, you could probably end up hemorrhaging your own business if that was. And then the other question would be, how do we not all just kind of boil it down to being Eckhart Tolle on the bench and saying you should be at peace with life and you shouldn't want anything and just sit in the park bench for eternity and be you know be present in the moment. Just, you I, could say, why, yeah. why do you want to achieve anything? You know, So I'm not too familiar with Eckhart
1: Hole, other than I know that he's um, a bit on the the fluffy side of things um, and I think part of that is because oh, well, part of this sort of why not be just at peace and have no preferences so I, I've talked about you look at your demands and you change your demands and their preference and to summarise that I need a Ferrari, I should have a Ferrari I'm only going to be unhappy uh, if I don't have it, whereas, and the same with I need 8% body fat, whereas if I would prefer to be 8% body fat, but if I am not, I can deal with that and work towards it.
0: Is mm.
1: In the same way, you replace that with yacht, Ferrari, Ferrari, or whatever. That's a much more adaptive, healthy way of thinking. Whereas as humans, we think uh, in a black and white or heuristic way, which is like system one versus system two. Thinking if you've heard of Daniel Kahneman, we we like yeah, to have like yeah. straight straight line thinking because it speeds things up and we need that. It's important that we have it. If we didn't have it, we would spend too much time thinking. Mm. So why not just be at peace and be present all the time? Very simply, your life's not going to go too well. Uh, you have the power to shape it. Uh, you have the power to exercise control over it, and exercising control over that is a beneficial and healthy thing to do. So having preferences for what you want and acting in a way that uh, moves you towards those is good for you from a mental health capacity. Anytime you achieve something or you achieve a success, then, you know, that is you essentially, you know, acting in it you're receiving some positive mental health and well-being benefit from that um, in terms of confidence. Um, I'm sure mm-hmm. there's hormonal things that are going on there in terms of serotonin and dopamine, etc. But, you know... If you want, if you actually want to spend your life sitting in a park bench, then by all means go and do that. But there are also like other things that need to happen. And again, within some of the research is like where you place your focus in terms of your long-term perspective versus your short-term perspective. You've got actual long-term needs. And when you find that you're doing things that meet those long-term needs, you'll go back and focus more on your short-term needs. And then once you find you're meeting those, you'll think more about your long-term needs. So there's research in this within finance um, about like how you, if you you write a letter from yourself in the, in the future um, to yourself now you're more likely to make uh, long-term better financial decisions. So like your mm-hmm. needs are on a sliding scale; they change daily and um, depending on what you're achieving. Um, and you get that with people like once you achieve something, it's like that's no longer important. Something else becomes important. You know.
0: Mm, yeah. I, I I don't know if that's part of just how if that's an important part of evolution and why we always, we're, we're not still you know, using fires with, with sticks and chasing you know, wild animals I and mean, we now on Mars, I wonder is that part of that is that we always kind of need to strive for more that drives evolution I've always kind of thought about that
1: Yeah, I mean, part of evolution is I suppose, progress and you, but we don't know where the progress is coming from and that's why we have hmm. Uh, variety. Males are much more um, varied in physical appearance and capacity because they have uh, they it's it's genetically advantageous to be different and stand out because then you're more likely to do different things whereas females are much more I can't remember the exa- exact exact term um, but there's like a male variation uh, it might just be male variation is the scientific term but mm. um, which basically means that we're more likely to do things that are risky and dangerous take risks and be varied in our approaches um, and that's because that might result in a meeting opportunity um, that because we that are then different enough that that's a, becomes a desirable characteristic Um mm,
0: hence, yeah. the ter- hence the term peacocking you know it's all about turning yeah. out isn't it yeah, yeah. N- Neil Strauss the game <laughs> um, Right. Yeah. yeah so um yeah you you, th- you touched on a little bit a, a, a few really interesting things there and one of them was kind of like you being accepting of yourself whether you achieve that or not and that's obviously not something that's easy to do and it's I think it's a that's a core component of something that I'm not really that familiar with but health at every size so mm-hmm. you know of course if you're 350 pounds and you're six foot You're you're not necessarily in your best health, but accepting yourself at that first will facilitate you to be able to achieve a a healthy body weight. Um, And one thing that's really common, especially amongst men um, and those who want to achieve more is if you're following these kind of motivational pages or Gary Vaynerchuk or David Goggins or Jocko Willick, it's always like, you know watch this video and then you know you get this you're supposed to get the sense of motivation to jump and do 20 press-ups after watching the youtube short but what's that kind of mindset like where it's just like no pain no gain you know push yourself if you fail you you punish yourself with harder harsher treatment more exercise more i don't know suffering it's almost supposed to be like this yeah self i don't i don't even know what you would call it but it's just like, yeah, pretty much just punishing yourself if you're not yeah. doing well. Is, is this harmful or is this actually help people? Define why, yeah. why is it, why is it, why is this kind of mindset so um, praised and so, I suppose, put on a pedestal, like, oh, look, David Goggins, he mm. can really kind of, he gets up, but he gets up before he goes to sleep and starts running and yeah. he, he doesn't eat for a week and then he, I don't know, it's almost like he, anything that is unpleasurable, he does it for the sake of mental resilience. Is that how this works? Yeah, so let's let's take a look at this.
1: We're associating success with mental capacity and the issue here is that David Goggins did a couple of uh, feats of endurance and did them on broken feet um, uh, in one of the stories that I've heard and um, and that's that's a commendable thing like well done your tough cookie you know you've got some drive however if you punish yourself and beat yourself to the point where you broke your feet running how is that an, an adaptive behavior that gets you what you want why is it why is punishing yourself the goal why is not looking after yourself and ensuring your longevity and um, so the the thing for me is it's a little bit maladaptive if it's all about punishment. Um, that's a bit, I don't know if it, sycophantic is the right word or something, but it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily healthy to punish yourself in that way and despise yourself. Um, however, that doesn't mean it can't produce results. You know, there's cases of coaches trying to create OCD-like behaviors in athletes because that's an adaptive way to get consistent gains over time is to create an OCD-type characteristic. Um, of, of athletes being anxious that they don't do certain behaviours.
0: Now, is that helpful? So, well, like, is, is it- you, you see a lot of videos of Kobe Bryant because mm-hmm. he obviously passed away last year, I think, where it's like you have other previous NBA players that I got up at 5am to be the first to breakfast and Kobe Bryant had already come back from, uh, his, he was already covered in sweat because yeah. I was breakfast news already it's like what time did you wake up at two o'clock I so mean, here's yeah. the thing right do we not expect extreme
1: psychological issues with extreme performers the only thing is that you know maybe neglecting your family neglecting your life neglecting whatever it is <laughs> other responsibilities that you might have neglecting your health to achieve something Um. It makes you look good if you achieve it, but if you don't, you know, you've just been neglectful. So because they've got the story of success that results in the, okay, this, this is good, you know, survivorship bias. bias. Um, So I think there's a lot of survivorship bias with that. That said, Goggins, Jocko Willink, you know, what they're actually promoting is I'm responsible for myself, which is a good message because you are and you do have a degree of control and I think unfortunately we live in a society where there's like oh no this has been done to me and oh no I'm a victim here it's like no you can be a survivor but if you choose to be a victim you're holding yourself back and you're responsible for how you react to your your situation so I've got dyslexia I still have to write I still have to communicate I I make mistakes on a daily basis but I'm not letting it hold me back and I think it's like the issue is if you let something hold you back and you wallow in it we need to and this is this is a really interesting paradox because if from a personal perspective i can't afford to see myself as a victim in any scenario because i have to be a survivor of whatever difficulty i face or whatever challenge i face but if i'm working with somebody i have to show compassion to them because if i go in and say here toughen up you're you're sack of shit you're weak you're soft you know all these things that people say um what i'm doing is i'm being judgmental i'm not showing them compassion i'm not showing them how to actually uh i'm not giving them the space to understand themselves and i'm not i'm not even being facilitative there i'm just being a dictator so mm. i need to be i need to be hard myself but i need to be soft in others
0: yeah and I that's
1: can't. that's an, and then hopefully they'll become hard in themselves to a degree and to a degree, degree where it's adaptive but let's not conflate psychological approaches with performances against the goal, and that's us not to say that performances against the goal are a, a good thing. A really good thing that I've been saying to athletes prior to the, the Games this year when they're all stressing about qualifying was, right, why do you want to go to the Games? We talk about that for a bit and say, look, if you go to the cinema, does that make you a better person? No. If you go to the Games, the Olympics, does that make you a better person? No. If you get 8% body fat... Does that make you a better person? No. Your self-worth, what you're worth as a human doesn't change because of what you do. And we know this because if I was to turn around and say to you, okay, because you've achieved yacht, 8% body fat, financial freedom, um, and a 300 kilogram squat, you're a better person. Does that mean somebody who is homeless uh, is a drug user and uh, has even committed violence, I've uh, done things, does that mean they're worth less? No, hmm. the worth as a human doesn't change. The actions that they do are not them. So your actions are things that you do, but they don't define your entire life and existence. Case in point, Lance Armstrong, you know, did a load of good stuff for cancer, cheated in a sport, which is known for cheating. Um, do we say he's a good person or a bad person? We don't. He's got good and bad actions.
0: Yeah. I think um, I listened to a Sam Harris podcast uh, maybe about a year ago about the cost of the human life mm-hmm. and the actions of governments wouldn't necessarily be in line with what you've said there, you know, in terms of saving this, spending money to save lives. But I guess it's not, it's not, it's not a topic where it would. Necessarily that's interesting. Jump into the- you know, I mean, that's, a, that's a can of worms that, um, yeah.
1: you know, I, I try to be mm. apolitical at times, at all times, because I, I don't think it's. It's possible to have a correct opinion that is a hundred percent correct mm. so there has to be a flaw with every opinion that you hold um, and your job is essentially to try and understand that but I mean yeah how government how different governments operate is interesting from a psych
0: perspective yeah. That's why I stick to help people get bigger biceps <laughs> <A bit easier. laughs> so and um, just on, on the compassion bit there um, um, you mentioned it's important to be compassion compassionate to yourself. And that's not necessarily something that especially men will do. I think women are probably a little bit better because just the way that they we, they've evolved and they care for, for well they they give birth and stuff like that. I think it's just part of their mm-hmm. their nature Correct. Um, why why is it that compassion one is important um how and how do you decipher between compassionate and just being you know there're there you know it's okay. you had another. Uh, you had another takeaway again for the six night in a row, pat yourself in the back, compassion. Right. You know, how, how do you decide between the two? The, the, the basic skill for trying to understand psychology or
1: step, trying to understand any component of performance, put it on a spectrum, Goldilocks it, right? Too much, too little, just right, right? It's all about optimization. Um, compassion. Can you be too compassionate? Maybe. Can you be not compassionate enough? Definitely. Um, What's the right amount of it? Don't know. But your job when interacting with somebody is to actually work that out. And what I would say is that if you want to build a relationship with somebody, you go in compassionately. But whenever you challenge them, um, you have to challenge them compassionately as well. I understand that this is difficult for you, but you've said you were going to do this and you haven't. And this is what you want to do. So how do you feel about that? That's that's a heavy challenge because I'm not even saying I'm not even saying you've done bad. I'm not judging you. I'm asking you to hold yourself to what you've said and explore that in a in a non-judgmental, compassionate way. Um, but again, when we don't have compassion for somebody, you know, what's the opposite of that? Was we don't care about them. Passion essentially means to to suffer. Um, calm is with passion is to suffer in Latin. So I'm here to suffer with you. Is, is essentially what you're doing when you, you're speaking compassionately. You're beside them. Sympathy is different. Um, sympathy is, oh, poor you. Uh, and that's kind of what you're saying is like, oh, poor me, I need to give myself another takeaway because I've had a hard week. Mm. It's like, it doesn't have to be sympathy. Sympathy is maybe, and it's a useful thing at times, like we should have sympathy for people. Uh, it, but it, again it's better to have compassion uh, and suffer with them and again suffering with them doesn't mean that you you know, you know, need to appease that suffering, you need to go oh you shouldn't do suffering have some pizza no, you, look this is tough, you're feeling hunger um, or you're feeling stress or frustration how are we going to suffer through this um, I think too, too often there's this positive idea that life needs to be positive and happy and all this nonsense it's like point direction. If you want to achieve it, you're going to suffer in it. That's your direction of suffering and go there. Um, and along the way, you'll experience successes and, and actually you won't suffer because you'll experience, um, you know, successes which are the opposite of suffering, you know. Um, sorry, I'm going down rabbit holes there. The other thing about empathy, uh, empathy is like a, a subcomponent of compassion within MI and the research clearly shows that the more empathetic somebody is, the better, um, the better outcomes they're going to get whenever you work with them as a psych. Um, and I'd say the same is probably true of like, um, you know, S and C coaches and of nutritionists. And you know, it is the same within doctors as well. Like bedside manner is like, how do you show empathy? What do you say to them? And empathy is really, I see what you're going through. So, for example, when you're talking about the difficulties of 8% body fat and getting down to that, ah. Uh, you, you're feeling tired. I'm, I'm going to tell you what I see you're going through, and that's how you show empathy, which is a sub component of
0: actually showing that you show compassion or you are compassionate. How does that I'm sit with you? Yeah, if, if, if somebody's trying to be compassionate towards themselves, let's say they'll set a specific goal and they'll give themselves a timeline that if everything went perfect, which we know is not necessarily going to happen, that they will achieve that, and then if they don't or a roadblock comes up, then Usually they'll say, oh you're they'll come up with a lot of kind of explicitives to call themselves and mm. you're lazy f f and this and you know that Um why is being compassionate to yourself important to keep moving forward? Okay. Is it that you'll stop or is it that you know is it that these negative emotions make that the whole situation worse?
1: So if you're if you're berating yourself and calling yourself names which we all do uh, if you're a self-critic self-critical of yourself you're not showing compassion to yourself and um, I don't have an issue if you're critical of yourself I have an issue of what does that criticism cause you to do that's the difference it's not about you saying I'm a piece of shit right it's about when you say that what's the what is that what's the knock-on effect of that is that result in a behavior because you've said that to yourself um, and is that behavior a behavior that moves you towards what you want to achieve or away from what you want to achieve so that's mm. the difference and again you can compassionately say wasn't good enough, not happy but that's okay, I make mistakes and I'm going to move forward you know, failure's just feedback so that's an adaptive way to be hard on yourself whereas to go, oh, I'm terrible I'm woeful, I should give up well again that's not going to be a useful adaptive response to any difficulty or setback. Um, I think. I mean, I think the reality of life is that the bigger the difficulties you go through, the better you get at coping with them. You know, and if you respond to a degree uh, like squatting, you know, if you go through some difficulty, you get better at coping with that. Um, I've recently become a parent and I know exactly <laughs> what that means is like everything's difficult now I feel like crap most days and um, sleep is difficult etc but you get through it because you have to um, it gives you it gives you I mean what, what I'm saying as well the other thing is that there's growth after the difficulty it's not a case of this is difficulty until the point where I die and I'm ground down it's about the growth afterwards and giving yourself the space to recover from that so I think the problem with me is when people set goals like David Goggins, et cetera, which are just grinding and don't result in recovery and maybe result in taking risks from a health perspective. Um, because here's the thing. If he had a run as hard as he ran, injured himself, and then severely injured himself as a result of it, and the, the, he then had to get his foot amputated because of the damages done or whatever, something like that, Nobody would be holding them up to some standard of mental um, mm. strength. They'd just be going, "I was a bit stupid," you know. <laughs> um, and you know, I've seen this in rugby, like commentators saying he broke his arm and then went into the tackle. Okay, great. Could have broke his arm, went into the tackle after breaking the arm, uh, and that bone could have then severed a nerve and ended, ended his playing career. And that was an Irish international we were talking about, but nobody picked up on the. What's the risk of going into a tackle? Knowing you've already broke your arm, and mm. everybody picks up on the uh, the hero status and the bravery, which yeah. is great because we value bravery as a society, but sometimes too much.
0: Yeah, I think uh, the the part where you mentioned going through something very difficult gives you this growth at the end that really resonated with uh, with myself and with clients that I work with that do natural bodybuilding. It's mm-hmm. like this. It's 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 a very, um, it's a, it's a very a strange thing from from an outside perspective is why you would almost my, my mother always says to me like what you're not doing that starving thing again because you pretty much are starving yourself to the point where you're really impacting your your hormones at an, at an acute level and um, your health. But just to stand on stage, but the, when, when people have said and done it, and you know they did being able to ch- to live life and to put up with the the challenges in life in spite of that, or um, when you're going through that experience where you've really low energy um you're tired you're not sleeping well and still being able to deal with that really kind of opens their eyes to oh wow look what i can actually achieve um mm. from a mental capacity um you, know, I, you are, we're pretty much at time but it's been amazing to to chat to you and the could probably talk for hours um I, I guess where would people find more about this kind of these things because i get because lo, loads of people will set goals whether it's regardless of what that is in life and, and many people don't achieve them and it's not you know if it was simple as simple as just a maths formula or equation you could just upload it once online and then everybody would have their, their desires and outcomes but there's obviously a lot of challenges along the way um, and and maybe underlying foundations that people need to work on and um, so how, how do people if they want to learn more about what we spoke about today or any good resources where would you point them in direction to
1: I mean that's a massive question, and I think I'd just answer it by like stop setting goals and start setting learnings. I want to learn to be at percent body fat. Think about your performance as a learning approach, and that'll change your mindset um, as to how you view failure and how you view the challenges you face. I'm learning. I'm learning how to feel hunger and not not reach for something that I shouldn't reach for. I'm learning how to squat um, and and do so. Like, you learn strength as much as you mm. you know develop the physiology around it. Um, so I think that would be the first thing I say. I think that question is massive. Um, I'm not too sure I can answer it. I know. Yeah, I mean, where would I? I don't know how to answer that question because um, it, it's it's so big. I mean, you, the, mm. the reason being it's like you're asking, how do we stop? How do we prepare everybody for everything? Um, yeah so <laughs> cool, I, cool I, point. I think the, the big thing for me there would be like go go ask people advice um, find experts um, listen to all the episodes of your podcast Adam and I'm sure people will get more mm. advice and
0: information in that um, would be about my approach so listen yeah. to all the episodes we, if you haven't <laughs> we didn't touch on it um, but I'm sure there's some. you have some sort of process that you work through when someone says I have this goal you probably peel that back, right? Mm. Um, instead of just saying, "Well, I, I want to climb Mount Everest," um, and they've never left their couch. You probably start okay, to peel yeah, yeah, that yeah. back. But but I I, I don't. You've probably going to talk for another twenty five minutes. <laughs> I know you got to. I'll actually so.
1: give you a quick answer on that one. Uh, on my Instagram, I have started doing a thing called Psych in sixty. Um, one of them is goal setting, and I talk about my process of goal setting there in sixty seconds. So very simply. Spend five minutes writing down everything you want to achieve in your life. Spend five minutes writing down everything you want to achieve in the next three or five years. Do the same five minutes for a year. Do the same for six months, and then go through everything you've written down. If you spent five minutes writing down everything in your life, and you probably find you get stuck after two minutes. You're like, shit. I've decided everything I want out of life: eight percent body fat, yacht, Ferrari, financial freedom. What else? Uh, and you like don't have anything else to put down, um, but. Do that, and do that process, and then go through and pick two things from each time sheet that you want to do. Pick another two things that are your B goals, two A goals, two B goals. All the rest, they're not important; they're C goals. And then set some set some plans to achieve that. How are you going to achieve those things? And how do they, you'll see how they connect up. Start acting on those plans, and then uh, lastly, repeat that entire process every three four months. Once you start seeing things getting checked off, it. Um, and that's a good way to peel back a a goal. Biggest issue with setting goals and why that process works so good is because people go, I want to achieve this goal but they don't realise that they have many other goals including being a parent being a student, Mm -hmm. being a whatever you have to set all your goals together otherwise you aren't respecting the fact that your time is finite so goal setting is a prioritisation process not a pick this and do that process it's actually
0: prioritizing it with other things in life um, mm-hmm. so yeah that's it it's a great way to end so wh- where can people find more information about you and uh, the work you're doing so I run a motivational interviewing course once a year and
1: um, do it putting people through all three levels um, and you can find that on my website um, podium psych- psychology.com um, I have a number of free resources uh, on critical thinking um, on YouTube, and I have an Instagram, um, and that would be the best way to get hold of me. Um, oh, sorry, well those are the best things that I put content out on.
0: Um,
1: if people Great. are interested,
0: I will put all of those in the in the show notes, and I highly recommend people look at that. And I think you have a few articles as well that are on your on your website. So. Um, Thanks so much, you for coming on. Really, really appreciate it and great conversation. No worries. Thank you very much, Adam. Uh, it's been
1: a pleasure. Um, and I suppose what I would say is people need to get in and uh, use your services, Adam, because I can see a great future for you having uh, had a wonderful conversation before this. So I think it will be not too long before you're, you're at capacity and won't, won't be able to help as many people as you currently are.
0: Great, thanks for that. I'll, I'll give you the cash for saying that afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> no worries.
1: Thanks.